Reacting to the world's best science. The Naked Scientist Newsflash. And now it's time for the Newsflash with the Naked Scientists with Chris Smith and me, Diana O'Carroll. So, Chris, what have you got for us? Well, this week, scientists have discovered why light makes migraines become a lot worse. And actually, the key to this breakthrough was the discovery that people who are blind also get their headache aggravated by exposure to bright lights. This is the work of Rodrigo Nasida and his colleagues. They're based at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Centre in the US. And they began by asking 20 blind people who experienced migraines whether they got more light sensitive or they didn't have a problem with light when they actually had their headaches. And surprisingly, some of these blind people did report getting a worsening of their headache when they were having a migraine and exposed to bright lights. And the interesting thing was when they looked at who those people were, they found that they were individuals with a form of blindness, which is like retinitis pigmentosa. So in other words, acquired forms of blindness where the rods and cones that turn light into brain waves that the brain can understand, they degenerate, but the retina is otherwise left intact. Now, people, on the other hand, who had damage to their eyes, such as uh, traumatic damage or the eyes were being removed or they had congenital absence of the eyes, they didn't have this aggravation of headaches by bright light. So this suggested to the researchers there must be some kind of signal which is going from the retina and into the brain to make this happen. So how they got to the bottom of this was they went into the lab, took some experimental rats, and they put some chemicals which were labels, which were dyes, into the retina to see where the nerve cells from the retina went to in the brain. And they found some connections from the retina to a part of the brain called the posterior thalamus. And the nerve cells that were making those connections are intriguing because they don't carry visual information. They carry information about whether it's light or dark. They're the brain's way of telling if it's daytime or nighttime, and it uses those cells to set the body clock normally. And so what's the impact of these projections going onto this bit of the thalamus? Well, that same cluster of cells in the posterior thalamus also they receive inputs from the meninges, the layers that surround the brain, and specifically pain fibres that supply the meninges. And so the same cells get both stimulated by whether it's light or dark and also pain signals. So if you've got already pain coming in being reported from this meninges and you also get the light signals coming in, this makes these things worse. And the researchers are saying this now sets the stage for understanding. Now we know a bit more about how the process is, is wound up or why you get photosensitive, perhaps being able to treat it. So the best thing is definitely go to bed and close the curtains. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> true. But it's amazing to think that people who couldn't actually physically see held the key to the breakthrough. Interesting. Well, um, also on a pain-related note, have you ever caught someone just before they say something embarrassing? And did you give them a playful elbow? Well, it turns out that cleaner fish do something quite similar. A cleaner fish are the little hangers-on you see on big fish, and their name is self-explanatory. They clean the larger fish of parasites and dead skin cells. This dirt is the cleaner fish's food, and it keeps the host fish happy, or at least prevents them from eating their followers. Now, Nicola Rahani and her team have found that male cleaner fish will punish the female cleaners if they step over the line and start munching on the tastier host fish instead. Because the host fish has a much more nutrient-rich mucus on their skin, and cleaner fish would much rather eat that, it actually risks offending the host fish if they do, and that might mean that the cleaner fish lose their food supply altogether. 
In the journal Science this week, they tested this by offering the cleaner fish some fish flake and they offered them also some more extravagant prawns. And they trained the cleaner fish so that if one took a bite from the prawns, all the food would be removed from the tank. And very quickly, the researchers saw that whenever a female cleaner took a bite from the prawns, the males would punish her by chasing her away. Not very nice. And afterwards, the females were much, like, uh, much less likely to uh, give in to their prawny temptation again. Now, I'm not sure what it says about male-female relationships. I know I get a telling off if I reach for the chocolate, but perhaps I'm offending the god of female good figures or something. Um, but Rohani said that the males are actually less uh, well-behaved than the females a lot of the time, but perhaps part of the reason the males are so likely to cheat is that the females never punish the males. I don't know uh, why there's that sexual difference. But it might tell us something about the evolution of human behaviour and how we came to monitor each other's behaviour for an overall benefit to the society. And Rahani suggests that as the male fish are essentially looking after their own stomachs first, this is how behaviour which benefits the group as a whole might have evolved. Definitely a case of do what I say, not what I do, isn't it? Yeah, I uh, think so. <laughs> don't, don't follow my example, just do what I say. Well, also this week, scientists have uh, discovered there's a way to, excuse me, <clears throat> repair the activity of a defective enzyme. And this is an enzyme uh, which prevents some people breaking down alcohol. Um, it's also, though, an enzyme which can protect the heart against damage done by heart attack. And it can also place people who don't have enough of it at risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. Now, up to a billion people around the world, and that includes 40% of people who live in East Asia, have a form of a gene which codes for an enzyme called aldehyde dehydrogenase 2. The short name for that is ALDH2. And this is an enzyme that breaks down a chemical called acetaldehyde. And this is one of the metabolites that's produced when alcohol goes into the liver. And shortly after consuming some alcohol, people who have a defective form of this enzyme develop a very characteristic stereotype syndrome. They get very flushed in the face, they get a very fast heart rate, and they also feel very, very sick. And this is because in the bloodstream they build up large amounts of this acetaldehyde that they can't break down very fast. And the other interesting thing is that people who carry this abnormal form of the gene also have a higher risk, perhaps 100% to 200% higher risk of esophageal cancer. They're also at risk of Alzheimer's disease. And if they have a heart attack, the outcome usually is much worse. They get much more damage to the heart muscle. The, the damage is more extensive. What researchers have found previously is that higher levels of this particular enzyme, ALDH2, in heart muscle is very strongly protective against the damage done by a heart attack. In order to work that out, what they found was they developed a molecule called ALDA1, which can increase the activity of the enzyme in the heart, and that's how they made that link. But now there's a paper published this week in the journal Nature, Structural and Molecular Biology by scientists at uh, Indiana University in Stanford. This is a group led by Thomas Hurley, and they've actually worked out how this ALDA1 compound makes this enzyme become much more active. What they did was to solve the three-dimensional structure of the enzyme so they can work out what its shape is, and they found that at the core of the enzyme is a structure a bit like a tunnel, and that's where the acetaldehyde that needs to be broken down goes. But in the defective form of the enzyme that the East Asian people have, this tunnel is the wrong shape and the molecule can't get in. But when you add this ALDA1 drug molecule to it, what it does is stick somewhere else on the outside of the enzyme and bend it or change the shape. And this twists the tunnel open again so that the enzyme activity goes back up. And Right. One, one approach of this could be to mean that people who are holders of this particular genetic makeup could begin to drink more alcohol if they took a drug like this. But the point is that because it has such a potent effect on the heart as well, it has the ability to reduce the damage from heart attacks, it can reduce the risk of things like Alzheimer's disease. Understanding how this pathway works and how to strengthen its effects 
could be really important in protecting general people who have the normal form of the, form of the enzyme too from those two very common conditions. Well, during these cold winter months, you might like to strap yourself in to some lovely fluffy socks, perhaps that your granny made you at Christmas. And now you can get special socks for donor organs and people with diabetes, according to a paper from Chemistry of Materials this week. It's not quite putting livers in jumpers and hepatic veins in booties, but chemists this week have described how they've created a special fabric that can deliver nitric oxide to donor organs. Well, why is this useful? Nitric oxide is great in preventing damage to organs which aren't getting enough oxygen. It's actually a molecule which many animal cells use to communicate with other cells. And one of the tasks nitric oxide performs is as a muscle relaxant, which means it can dilate blood vessels and increase blood flow. Actually, it's one of the signalling pathways that Viagra capitalises on. So this fabric contains zeolites, which are molecular cages of aluminium and silicon oxides. And these cages will soak up gas molecules like nitric oxide and then release them in a controlled manner. And the way they make the bandage fabric is to construct a water-repellent polymer and then they embed some of these zeolites in it. And they can control how fast nitric oxide is released by making the polymer more or less water-repellent. So to get the nitric oxide flowing, you just need to add moisture. And the scientists working on this, Kenneth Balkus and Harvey Liu at the University of Texas, are solving a problem here that many have struggled with before in medicine. It's quite tricky to find reliable ways of storing and then delivering nitric oxide in a controlled manner, because, as with many good things, too much is toxic. So apart from wrapping donated organs ready for transplantation, the zeolite fabric could be used for people with diabetes, in whom it's been found that nitric oxide production is compromised, and wearing this fabric as socks might increase blood flow in all sorts of extremities, so they could really benefit from some NO socks. Thank you, Diana. The Naked Scientist Newsflash. Reacting to the world's best science. For more information, look us up online at nakedscientists.com.